0: this podcast, Dandy Grazia from IBM talks about the m- intersection of chief data scientist and open source. So, stay tuned. So, welcome everyone to Future of Data podcast. Today, we have with us Dandy Grazia. Uh, he's a chief data scientist at IBM um, and. Uh, open source, and we'll talk about it and a brief bio before we get going. So Dan has almost thirty years of uh, experience working with large data sets, starting with the unusual work of analyzing potential jury polls in 1980s. Dan also did some of the first pc based voter registration analytics in the Chicago area, including putting the first complete list of registered voters on a pc. Wow. Uh, Interested in almost anything new and technical, he worked at Chicago Board of uh, Trade, where he taught himself basic to write algorithms while working as an uh, uh, arbitrator uh, in financial futures. After the military, uh, Dan moved uh, to San Francisco, where he worked several small companies and startups, uh, designing and implementing some of the first PC-based fax systems. Um, and enterprise accounting software uh, and working with early middleware connections using uh, the early 3GL and 4GL languages. Always pursuing the technical edge cases, Dan worked into Infobridge, a column store database startup in the US and uh, AMIA at Lingotech and in funded company working in large dataset translations and big data analytics companies. Data Datamir um, and his current position as Chief data scientist for open source and IBM channel organizations. Dan's current, just for fun project, is working uh, to create an app that will record and analyze bird songs and provide the user with information on the bird and the specifics of the current songs. Wow. That's fascinating, Biodan. I, I do appreciate sharing that.
1: Thank so,
0: you. It's been kind of fun to hear it like that. <laughs> I've been busy. <laughs> yes, you have been busy. So yes. So why don't you just walk us through journey? I don't know how much this is. I did to your background. If you can walk us, um, walk our, our our listeners and viewers through your journey over this uh, and fun stuff, and walking us what all really this this all means. That'd be fascinating. <laughs>
1: um, well, you know, I guess I I. I Best describe my current journey, or my 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 journey to my, you know, current role, position, place, and where I am is, as a zigzag. <laughs> uh, I um, uh, I I started this. Uh, um, I guess the best way that you know to do this is you really start at the beginning for people. Uh, something inspired them to work in computers, or something like that. You know, something they said, "This is what I want to do," and. For me, uh, actually, at, at 17, I saw my first computer. It was one of my brothers. It was a uh, an Apple. Uh, it's an Apple IIe, and I remember looking at it and thinking, "I don't know what I want to do, but it's not going to have anything to do with that." Uh, it wasn't interesting to me at all, and it was about uh, four years later, three four years later, uh, working at the Board of Trade. Uh, that, uh, as you talked about, uh, I was doing arbitrage there, which is, you know, working in the cash markets and uh, the in the future side. And it was all about getting to the bar. I mean, really, if you think about, you know, uh, need-based uh, learning, uh, all my friends would be done by 33 o'clock and they were done for the day. They were on. And my job was to sit and listen you know to either recordings of some of the trades but i sat there and i basically wrote algorithms or took algorithms that we knew of and mashed them together and that work took me a couple of hours on a calculator and i was sitting in front of a trs80 that happened to have two drives actually zenith had bought them already so i was looking at that and uh, i asked my boss and he said well nobody knows how to use it and uh so I grabbed, uh, luckily, back then, they bundled BASIC with DOS. And so I had a language to learn and an operating system. So I pulled it out of its, you know, uh, effectively a Quotron mode. You know, it was simply a dumb terminal and started coding.
2: Hmm.
1: And, you know, that, at, at that point, it, it went from the faster I get this done, I'm going to get to the bar, to this is actually interesting. You know, uh, it was the first feeling of, uh, I could make these things do something, you know, I, I could, you know, something, you know, something like that could happen. And that got, that really got me started in development. And from there, uh, well, I, I had some time in the military, which was, uh, although a lot of fun, uh, <laughs> did not, uh, Uh, Did not leave me with anything in the way of uh, of much added computer skills, but it was great life experience. So I went back uh, and started working basically as a, you know, for a higher consultant. I was a little ahead of the game uh, and because I was fascinated, I, I took a hold of the first copies of... Oh, Symphony, I think it was called, which was, you know, uh, an actual integrated, you know, word processor, database kinds of things. Uh, You know, it had a spreadsheet. And uh, that took me into uh, understanding netware and networking. And, uh, you know, from from that point, I met my wife in San Francisco. And it's funny, she really didn't understand computers. I mean, not a lot of us, to be fair, understood desktops, Mm. PCs, whatnot Mm. back then. So she she asked if, if I would mind moving to California to you know Northern California to be exact, but she wasn't ready to move back to Chicago. And uh, I said that's you know that's sort of like asking a you know a priest if he wants to you know go to the Vatican for a little while. I, I was like, yeah, I think I can find something interesting to do. And uh, you mentioned some of the the things I was doing back then. It was just it was a great time. This was you know really pre the web being a. Uh, you know, an average ubiquitous thing. So, you know, we used modems when we wanted to connect. You know, ninety-six hundred baud was an amazing speed; it was mm-hmm. blazing fast. Uh, but it, all through all of this, and um, uh, you know, to, to to sort of tie it up, I went from place to place, but it always came down to I was fascinated with the data they were working on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that always. Generated for me the biggest questions, you know, why is it saying what it's saying? Um, why do I think it's saying what it's saying? You know, I'm just early questions, you know, data scientist wasn't a thing. In fact, um, although we were doing algorithms, nobody really called them that at the time. Hmm. You know, that wasn't what we were doing. And I, uh, I think that the, the best thing that, you know, for me was, I worked at small companies where you could take advantage of whatever technology they had. Hmm.
2: You know, you
1: had that opportunity to try something, and uh, uh, that that gave me the opportunity to these small places to move forward and finally get uh, moving back to Chicago, and really then moving into you know uh, companies like um, uh, Infobright, working in you know column store databases, working at DataMirror, things like that uh which uh, and and throughout that uh particularly as i was leaving uh some of these smaller companies uh, uh, open source became a real fascination for me what what had a person actually you know write code for free
2: Hmm.
1: i mean i i i programmed myself i mean i you know i for for fun, I would try things. I would do things like that, but I never, you know, it never occurred for me that way. And so, watching people start to write things in the beginning was really interesting. Getting involved with some of them, uh, it was, was was just fascinating. So, I think that's probably the best, the best part that brought me to, you know, the the perfect storm of enough data science and uh, enough of of everything else that that they wanted for the role I was looking for at IBM which is as evangelical as it is technical uh, working with partners.
0: Interesting. Thank you so much, by the way. I think that was really fascinating to hear your journey. The long
1: walk over 30 years. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, oh, it's, I think it, I do appreciate that. So, so let's, let's talk about um, your role in IBM. Like what does really achieve data a scientist of open source really mean?
1: You know, it's a, <clears throat> um, I, I, think I think anywhere, um you know chief means you're your utility player mm. uh both horizontally and vertically mm. you have to be ready particularly in data science you know to hack together code in the morning and then advocate for some strategic change later that same day uh and horizontally you need to be ready certainly in in open source and in the uh in the partner channel you know i'm a counselor a speaker a consultant for ibm partners companies to ibm every day um i guess if i might give a small shout out uh a lot of this is evangelism you know social media work things like that and i'm really lucky enough to work with a guy uh named alex josephs who runs a team called the ibm Wolf Pack, and uh, he's their leader and they're really out there doing different things and uh, we share a boss, uh, uh, Vlad Stojanovski, and the group really works with individuals and companies every day. And I get to, you know, whether it's analytics or blockchain, you know, ML, DL, all in the cloud. I'm just, I'm really happy to be supporting them. And so that's really my my role is uh, not the kind of average everyday data scientist, but mm. more data scientist as advocate. I guess I would say.
0: Interesting and i think one thing that that i find uh, i found really fascinating about your your background is i think um, uh, we talked about your, your jury poll initiative uh putting all the data in in, in into piece it's these are like, these require a lot of grunt work like a lot of sort of uh, it's laborious with probably no plain of sight of when the incentive is going to come and all that and many of the businesses that that we we talk to um who are either starting this journey this is the biggest. It, it's a very. It's a, it's more of a psychological plunge than than the than the technology plunge, right? To really go and fix the data, understand the data, and all that. Like, what are some of the th- some of the um, motivations that you could share that has helped you, helped you, like, stay consistent through sort of creating such a laborious and such, a, such an important role, and in sort of consolidating this data sources. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast.
1: You know, um, I I think, you know, for me personally and we we've, we've talked before and I yeah, when you and I were talking about what what makes teams, what makes companies and yeah, you know, I'm I'm probably going to say the word communication only about 800 times in this call. But <laughs> uh, um, I found that um, diversity of thought is 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 a huge thing that's helped me, and diversity of background. Uh, you know, I I realized as 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 you were talking about some of the bits and pieces that you've taken from from my background, I I use those uh, all the time. I I. I use you know military thought, planning, experience training. Uh, and and I'm just as easy, like you said to, to look at things I learned in jury selection. Mm. And I, I guess the, the interesting thing that I guess comes to mind from your, your your question is what that all pulls together. What I really love about working with with data is mm. that um, in the end, we're usually trying to or my favorites are when we're trying to answer questions or get answers to people who are working with people you know in the in in the uh um I, that's that's what gets me excited so you know in, in in jury selection we're trying to understand the minds of people that don't haven't even made up their mind yet mm. <laughs> We're looking at a, a potential pool of jurors and saying, out of that pool of the people that come forward, how are they going to think about things, and why can we say that with confidence? Uh, and so I, I think that the same is true. I mean, customer churn. Uh, mm. I guess the challenge with you know jury pools and you know voters and things like that is we can't ask them the questions we can in churn. Churn, you know, what products did you like? You know, mm. why did you leave our company? What would have you come? You can't really ask those questions outright. So, uh, trying to find algorithms uh, and data that helps us infer something with confidence is, um, uh, you know, is is a lot of it. And I guess the only other part I'd add in, you know, how I tie this stuff together, because that's really what I want to do at the end. Hmm. But the thing that really sold me, and I think it's probably. I imagine every uh, developers have a version of this. Data scientists, it's when I worked at the Board of Trade, I was doing you know intraday work. We're trying to figure out what's going to happen today and tomorrow. We're we're not looking at the mega trends. And to have your algorithms predictively work, hmm. it's pretty cool, you know. It's a to you know at the end of the day to see the market, you know bounce off. What you, whatever you said, it's not going below this, you know, uh, and they hit a ceiling and, you know, it bounced off of that. Uh, I think that's probably what, you know, cemented for me, the technical side of it, you know, wow, math works, you know, I mean, in the mm-hmm. end, this is a group of people making decisions about buying and selling and doing all of these things and math works. So that, that's, that's, yeah, that sold me hard. On looking at and
0: understanding, interesting. You know, data. interesting. And I think um, one other thing that I really found f- fascinating about your your background is uh, rarely have I seen. And obviously, maybe I have not looked hard enough. Um, chief data scientist and open source put together. So it it I think that's that's, uh, that's it's a fascinating thought because I think it puts sort of more emphasis on the cultural aspect of. The usage of data, like, what's your thought on on that? Like, if I'm a business and I'm I'm trying to figure out, do I need to focus on that as a as, as a chief scientist role? Like, what what's your thought on that?
1: You know, it, it's interesting because you know, as it pertains to to my title, initially it was kind of a holdover from when I first started. People mm-hmm. were working to figure out how to make money in mm-hmm. open, source, mm-hmm. right? And so I came on board to support those efforts and. The, um, they, it was a kind of a it's a scary place as you say for a business particularly for a business partner and I, at mm. any of these companies, you know I I came up with a mantra uh, that I used to say which was the the path to profit and open source is the mixed stack deployment. Now, mm. for people who've never been in the cloud, they kind of looked at me blankly, but I, I had their attention, and. What I was, what I really wanted to say to them is, uh, you know, it, it's not open source. is not about saving money, and unfortunately, mm. people throw that, you know, as their first thing. Uh, mm. Frankly, it is about, you know, much better transparency, much better security, in in many many cases. And there are things that, whether you call it value add, enterprise grade, although people certainly argue open source can do that. Um, there are times in that mixed stack where what you want to do is save a half a million dollars by using an open source data structure. And mm. you remember several years ago, it was going to be Hadoop. Mm. Um, I I was never that that sure of that, and and <laughs> I think we're we're seeing it, uh, it it fade to you know other data stores. But mm. the idea was you could save you know a half a million dollars by going to Hadoop and it was in data science it was like okay great but let's move that money to something that we can now use that we we couldn't even think about Mm -hmm. whether it's better analytics tools uh whether it's better security because we're actually you know some of this data will be public facing Mm -hmm. so uh, you know with so many subtleties uh, you know across both i mean and I'm sure I'm out of date. The last time I looked, there were 297 open source actual projects on Apache. Mm. And about a hundred of them said they had to do with data in in one form or another, Uh, particularly big data, because that was the phrase the last time I looked still. Mm, Um, uh, You know, so I think we're, um, we're seeing an interesting wave in there that people don't realize is a social wave as much as a um, you know as, as much as the technology wave and in fact I guess this is something if I'm saying that you know companies like what can you be missing if your developers are spending their free time developing things then they're learning they're doing things on their dime and you need to figure out how to support them and enable them because that you know is clearly something that makes them happy because they're doing it. Uh, and I think the more we do that, the better code we get across the board. Uh, so I really enjoy mixing the two things together.
0: Interesting. Wow. And I think that's that's a very very sort of refreshing thought, by the way. I, I do appreciate sharing that. So from your vantage point, what is the state of open source when it comes to data? Like, what what's your vantage point? What what are you seeing? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website, firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. It's happening? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, you know, it's, I mentioned a little, you know, it's interesting to watch the, um the, you know, the evolution and revolution steps mm. that, that happened to us in, in open source, the cycles. I mean, as we were just talking five years ago, you know, the big focus of things was Hadoop. Gartner mm. was predicting giant, you know, others, the Gartners of the world were predicting, you know, huge markets, data lakes mm. built on Hadoop were important strategies. Uh, with, you know, the evolution of Spark, other in-memory processing, mm. Hadoop sort of was relegated to cheap storage. And then current systems have made that even less desirable.
2: Mm. They've
1: you know, become other solutions. And I think that, that really the state of open source when it comes to data today has moved towards um, almost more towards the, the uh, you know, I'm going to have 100 arguments against this by saying it, but mm. towards the DevOps side, a lot of it, mm. it, it you know, I mean, there's still a ton to be done in 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 data science, and there's a ton to be learned out there. And you know, we can we can we can talk about some of the things I think that are going to be happening. But uh, historically, uh, uh, the shadow was um, the quality of the design work of of inter- you know the UX UI whatever you want to call it. What I usually see is is uh, situations where, you know, and people can argue with me all they want. But for every hundred developers you have working on a major or- open source project, you don't have ten percent of them, uh, you know, solely as UI designers, really thinking about what is it that people want to do. And I think we're starting to see uh, UIs come up, particularly in DevOps, because the UIs. Are now necessary for management consoles for deployments of containers. You know the whole you know, Docker and Kubernetes and things like that. Uh, um, Red Hat's OpenShift. You know, large companies tend to bring a level of quality to open source UX that that hasn't been there. Uh, so I think that the state of it is always you know growing and churning and fascinating. And um, right now. I think there are major moves to get all that data we've been figuring out how to compile and store and put on the web into production systems. So we're really seeing it much more on the DevOps side right now.
0: Interesting. And so, if if suppose if I'm a business and I'm trying to understand this open source uh, projects and tools, how would, uh, what's what do you think, How would how should I evaluate this market? Like how should I, Say recruit a tool, or how should what are some of the thoughts and practices that you could share that would help me understand what what to look for and how to how to recruit that. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai Ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast.
1: Um. Well, I think it's uh, if you, and this is sort of a. Oh well, clear. I'm having to. I would gather the focus of this, I guess, I and mean, is for the sake of simplicity, look at open source as a vendor, uh, mm. in, because that allows you to steer away from trying to think of mm. the big open source. I, right, you know, who, who cares if there are 190 some odd projects that are actually actively going right now, mm. think of them as a vendor. Then you're going to think about, okay, what do I need? Am I looking for, you know, real-time streaming data? Will, will Kafka solve that? Will, mm. uh, uh, one of my favorites what was it uh, uh, flink. Mm. Um, you know, uh, uh many people would have said, you know, flink was a better tool, um, mm i think that but if you if you go into it as okay i'm looking for x hmm. what do all of the first and you know second tier you know enterprise value add companies have for me and then what is the open source alternative hmm. uh, and the only thing is you know you can find on the web people who will talk to you about the, the top five benefits of open source that really aren't available and look mm. at those and decide if they're important to you uh, because uh, you know, that's, it's, but put them in the RFP mix, the same as everything else. Interesting.
0: Interesting. And, and, um, and how much should I commit to open source as, as, as an organization? Like what, how is it, is it really? Um, so what's, what's your take on that? Like how much I should, I should um, be telling my folks to recruit.
1: You know, I think it's um, – uh, speaking as someone who's worked for several vendors, um, mm-hmm. I hate vendor locking. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also an IT director and an IT manager, so I guess mm-hmm. I, I come from that side as well, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the past. But um, I – since you can – since the larger vendors, you know, certainly, you know, uh, IBM, Google have a – a uh, huge investment in open source and, and making that work and you know, having people work on those projects, data stacks, is, data bricks, those guys all do, um, that your um, your commitment to open source as a strategy, um, I guess still has to make sense in the uh, in part of a larger strategy. I think people fall down when they say we have an open source strategy. I'm more interested in somebody who says, well, we have a full stack strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're either gonna be bare metal or we're gonna be fine with, uh, you know, getting virtualized servers or private, you know, virtual servers, uh, you know, all the way up to the top of our analytics, you know, reporting. If they say that's a strategy they're working on, then I the, the analogy i use in training i actually have stickers <laughs> that i mm-hmm. hand out it's a picture of the the game jenga mm-hmm. uh, right it's a swahili word for me to build right and so i show them jenga and say well you could take this piece out and you could actually replace it with open source you can take this piece out and replace it mm-hmm. with open source here are some things that i probably wouldn't replace with open source you know the, those sorts of things and so in committing to the strategy, it's really first, what is your go to cloud strategy? I mean,
2: mm-hmm.
1: even on prem, obviously, open source is available. Right. Well, but look at it in terms first of do I have a sound strategy of, of every layer of, of my stack? And then have those teams go out and look. You know, go, you know, have them, uh, you know, see what's there. Uh, you know, I have, you know, personal opinions um, that are you know bound to piss people off <laughs> on what does work and doesn't, in, in the stack, uh, you know, open source wise, or you know, uh, private label products, commercial products, whatever you'd like to call them. But in short, looking at open sources as, as a strategy is too narrow of a focus. First, tell me you have a strategy for your stack.
0: Interesting. And and if 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 we see sort of um, the future of data um, as as a whole, and then we see, we're looking at sort of open source market, uh, so what what is the role of like what 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 do you see as, as from your vantage point, or some of the your personal prediction that how would the world pan out, uh, the future data would pan out considering uh, this this open source and sort of I think I, I and this is we hear a lot from a lot of uh, our interaction with the businesses is. There are a lot of options nowadays, and then the tools are not sticky anymore some 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 areas and some areas are extremely sticky. but almost everything is going through transformation now nowadays, so sure, I'm using something, but it's as you rightly said that at one point Hadoop was the only thing that everyone was, was cramming about, but right now it it has found its role at a as a cheap storage somewhere so what do you think is is where we're heading to? uh from whatever you're seeing
1: i think that the um you're right the the, the risk you discussed there and uh, you know i think to to talk about it you know very specifically um there was a product uh well there was an open source system that was pronounced uh tez t-e-z it's part of Hadoop uh it was actually a hindi word uh, it was Taze, right? It, it meant fast and uh, Taze Tez, uh, you know, went up and pretty much died before people could even learn to pronounce it correctly, <laughs> what they were saying. Uh, and I think that's the thing that, that you know, mm. strikes fear in, 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 in people. And one of the things that um, is, is helping, I think, alleviate a lot of that fear is moving to smaller services. I, I mean, when software was monolithic, mm-hmm. even open source was monolithic. Mm-hmm. And as the market moves to microservices, uh, you know, kinds of architectures where I'm, I'm calling this little bit to do this and this little bit to do that, uh, I, I think that we'll see that happen as well. Just like, you know, as we talked, Kafka, Flink, mm-hmm. were sort of single-use kinds of things. They got data from here to here, and you could evaluate in the stream. So what I see happening in, in open source is the same thing. There'll be a move away from it. Mm. And the there is much less risk in using open source because you actually can quite literally sit in on meetings that talk mm. about... You know, the transparency of it is phenomenal. And that allows you, as you know, someone who's a CIO, CTO, to do some some planning because you at least can have an opinion based on whatever's being said. You know, you can buy into or not. When working with vendors, it's a much more difficult thing. Uh, that said, the um, the deprecation of of vendor-based products. Mm. It goes for, you know, years to make sure that that process is gradual and that people can move away from things that IBM is no longer going to be supporting. Mm. But it's still not as good, I think, as what we see in open source where you literally can sit in on the development meeting. And get the feel, are these people excited? Are they leaning into it? Or is this, you know, just kind of nobody's interested in working on it anymore, sort of thing?
0: Interesting. Um, interesting. And, and and from your to point, what are some of the interesting areas to focus on or where the, some of the fun stuffs are happening when it comes to data?
1: Um, you know, the the, the fun for me uh is um is ai and and i guess you know if i talked about um what 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 do i think companies are in fact in this area what do i think companies are missing right because it's not it's it's fun and sometimes fun automatically equals it's not a business sort Mm -hmm. of thing but um for lack of better phrase i call it small ai or small cognitive assistance most companies, especially large companies, they're doing okay at implementing you know big AI projects. Hmm. Uh, but there's m- many places where where small AI. We see this in the personal sector all the time. you know, how many single-use apps do we have on our phone?
2: Hmm.
1: How many? Uh, you know, my favorite save my butt app is hmm. a uh, you know is a picture to PDF system. Right, hmm. oftentimes in contracts, people want a PDF hmm. and they need it faxed and that sort of thing. And, all I've got are the documents mm-hmm. in my phone, right? I'm on a plane and I can sit there, you know, uh, I think it's called, uh, it's Turbo Scan and TurboFax. I hope they do well with, uh, but to, to sign a contract and get it over to somebody where they'll accept that quickly, that mm-hmm. single use sort of, of application and it's spreading to AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't see AI as a job coster. I never have. And I don't think in, in IBM we do. Uh, if you think about it, uh, at one point we had computer departments like we had typing pools. You went there to get something done you couldn't do yourself. And then typewriters appeared on everybody's desk, and then those changed to computers. And now we carry them as phones.
2: Hmm. And
1: companies that are trying to move small cognitive apps into their workforce are going to have an edge because these tools are designed to augment individual staff people. Um, one of my favorite use cases, actually, I was, I was just talking to a a company in the Bay Area. They're um, uh, they're called Coda, and what they're doing is they're using AI to evaluate contracts. Hmm.
2: Right,
1: and, uh, the idea there being that uh, contracting is is uh, you know nobody's worked anywhere where somebody hasn't said it's still in contracts. <laughs> yeah.
2: hmm.
1: They're always overloaded. We're never hmm. going to lose those jobs, those lawyers, those contract specialists. But if they can have cognitive assistants that know how to turn through a contract and at the first glance say, hey, here's what's missing. Here's what's funny. The payment terms don't match our standard payment terms. You know, you know, our classic paragraph 3B is missing. Those sorts of things. Mm. So I think the same thing we're going to see in translation. Mm. Uh, you know, Google translates kind of humorous for people that actually try and use it on the road, but it's sure better than nothing. And the work I was doing at Lingotech, we're starting to translate mass amounts of data. And trying to do that reliably, I think, is really going to take AI. Uh, and so single-use, small AI uh, is where I think the most fun is. I mean, me and my bird call project. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, uh, I think is where we're going to see companies gain the biggest edge and where I see the most fun.
0: Interesting. I think that's a, that's a very, very, it's a very interesting thought. So, so basically the world is getting more appified, uh, going like very use case centric. Um, interesting. So now that means, uh, a, 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 maybe a massive cultural change, right? Because businesses are not to build around apps. They're built, it's like their their apps are built around businesses. So now how do you like, as a, as a data scientist, how would sort of you bring these two worlds together? Like I want to do my business the way it is and now i think you're spot on that hey what's your thoughts there
1: yeah you know um i uh um worked at an interesting startup that was uh uh, bought by um oracle uh Mm -hmm. and it was uh project and process management work and i got a chance to really dig into you know getting my green belt a long time ago in six sigma and looking at process and I think that if a company has a grip on its processes and can break them down into the discrete parts, that's where they're going to be able to see, this is where I could bring you know, uh, automation in the form of AI. Uh, so as a data scientist, and, and you know, it's a, data science people you know, often automatically go to large data sets. You know, and we used to talk about the the three V's or four V's. You know, the velocity, you know, variety, volume. My favorite, fourth, veracity. Whether we trusted mm-hmm. the data, um, but uh, you know, most companies will say, "Well, we don't have data that size. We don't terabytes of mm-hmm. data. We don't need a data scientist." And I absolutely disagree. Right? The the, the microservices, the the kinds of things that people can put together. Uh, so if you look at your processes and any time you have a situation where the process stops, well, some human looks at something or looks something up,
2: Hmm. you
1: have an opportunity to, to, to make a difference with AI. Uh, If if they're looking up something that's, you know, more than just a, you know, an index search, you know, they have to go look at a contract, or they have to go look uh, the famous one with Watson at IBM is, is, uh, you know, looking at things like x-rays for cancer. Hmm. Uh, What you want is somebody like Watson. They never get tired. (laughs) They Hmm. remember all hundred million x-rays they ever looked at. You know, (laughs) that's the kind of thing that where, um, the the idea of somebody being tired or grumpy or having a bad day Hmm. in, in, in something mismanaged. And the number of prescriptions, Uh, that go through handwritten by doctors who, as we all joke, are proud of the fact that nobody can read their handwriting. (laughs) Uh, Those are challenges for AI that are very discreet. Mm. A prescription reading AI, you know, can't read a book, wouldn't understand, you know, uh, uh, contracts, but, you know, it can churn through, uh, you know, these sorts of of prescriptions. and With the more and more prescriptions being faxed into places things like that i mean that alone could be a a, a boon to that
0: industry interesting interesting uh, thank you by the way for sharing that I, I do appreciate that so um when it comes to businesses right so from your vantage point what do you think are some of the challenges that you see businesses struggling with when, when they grapple around the fact that they need to be data driven what are some of the things that you could say that businesses are doing wrong or, or they could improve upon?
1: Um, have I said communication? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I guess, um, you know, this is probably one that you could stack up, right? What makes a good data scientist, a good data science team, uh, you know, a, a good data driven company. Um, I think are a couple of things uh, you know it really is communication but mm-hmm. this is hard since even in a small team we're working with biases that are hidden from mm-hmm. you know ourselves even from each other uh, you know we have some people that embrace change you know like it's the panacea well, you know others are still reluctant to get involved I remember mm-hmm. working to convince people in the 90s that laptops really were a thing they were going to carry them they were going to need them um, and so I think that the, the, the greatest challenge is to embrace the diversity of opinions. Mm. Um, w- we use the phrase often in our teams about being aligned. Okay. So I can say, look, mm. I'm absolutely aligned. I completely disagree with you, mm. <laughs> right? but I can align with you. I can, I, we can move forward mm. together because I do see the, you know, the prevailing, you know, agreements, beliefs of the team. And, uh, you know the joke with my, you know, working with me is that, you know, I'm a great guy to you know charge ahead. I'm you know I'm kicking the door, embrace change. You know, uh, they joke because they'll do things like uh, Dan. You know the the door's unlocked. <laughs> 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 Actually, you know, love your enthusiasm, Dan. But uh, <laughs> um, so they're you know being in communication saved a lot of wear and tear on me. Uh, you know. And, challenge, um, you know, forgive me for using uh, one, one swear word in, in, in my entire uh, conversation, or I hope to be, but um, many smart people that I work with uh, suffer from what I call damn fool's disease. Uh, they believe in the phrase, you know, any damn fool knows that, right? And that if they know it or they figured it out, it can't be that hard. And I think Dunning-Kruger is a, is a great thing to go look up for, for those of you who want to see an interesting, uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect is somewhat like this, but it, mm. it, it's an answer to it. But people, um, people uh, faced with Dunning-Kruger and faced with, you know, the I think everybody knows it if I do, they don't speak up.
2: Mm. They don't,
1: you know, they assume, oh, well, somebody else must have already thought of this and just dis- discarded it for a reason. Um, uh, and I mean, if I can, one of the best fun projects I'm doing right now, uh, there's a guy named Daryl Pyle at, at uh, he's at IBM, a longtime time data scientist, uh, and he, just to learn some things about AI, he decided to create, he was going to use visualization, he was going to get AI and Watson, it's IBM, to visualize to be able to take pictures of and look at chemical signals you know the the mm. diamonds that have four colored diamonds in them and what he wanted to do is basically be able to snap a picture of that with some sort of app and have that app go up into the cloud get analyzed and come back you know here's what this stuff is and so that's alone he's working on that and that's very interesting mm. well he got together with a few of us to talk about it and I've done a lot of disaster relief work and and early work, uh, you know, into disaster areas, Katrina, quake of 89, things like that. And I looked at him and said, this is an amazing thing. He said, mm. what you, I said well, imagine you take a picture of that. It goes up to Watson, gets, you know, if, if we jokingly call it in the, in uh, response teams, methyl ethyl bad stuff, right? Some horrible, <laughs> some horrible chemicals in there. But because of this microservices architecture, hmm. he can grab his current geolocation and he can grab the weather, he can combine it with that. And now he has the three things that he can send to an emergency management agency that hmm. turn that from interesting, we know how bad the chemical is, to actually telling the guys that are about to roll up on that, can they use water? Do they have to use a chemical retardant? Is the weather, the, whether it be winds or rain, going to create something, you know? And, you know, this is, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call any of that outside of the box, but I would Mm. call it that diversity of people and that communication, uh, you know, that are going together to create a a great app. I think he's probably gonna, before he builds an app, he's probably just gonna use Twitter. He'll Mm. tweet it up to the cloud and the cloud will tweet back, you know, run, Mm. run fast and send this to, you know, send this to the fire department. Uh, and, you know, just because, you know, we can play around with this stuff. So there's a hmm. huge amount of work uh, available. You know, every time I think we're done with that or we're, we're, I can see the edge of IoT or the edge of AI, somebody comes up with something like that.
0: Interesting. And and what, what, what are some of the things you're pleasantly surprised with when it comes to dealing with businesses? Like, what, did you say, hey, hey I, I never expected you to, to, that you get it, but now you get it. So what are some of those things?
1: um you know actually um something that's that i fall prey to that disease i talked about um because it's it's not it's a negative that still surprises me which is companies still fail to clearly understand their data sets mm. now we all talk you know people invest in a, a huge amount of money in the end game i want great analytics mm. i want great you know, charts, I want to be interactive with them. And that's terrific. And they don't look at what they're bringing in.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, failure to understand data sets clearly or cleanse them. Um, so, funny story, you mentioned voter registration. So I had I had what I consider to be a brilliant idea. Uh, I don't know if it's probably still true today, but in Chicago in the 80s, 18% of the city moved every month right i'm sorry every every year 18 Mm percent of the city changed right changed their address and that meant those people needed to have a uh a a phone number right some sort of Mm -hmm. phone change so i started comparing so i went to a a political campaign we we got the the money to start comparing phone numbers Mm -hmm. to unregistered voters so we'd find your name and phone number and we'd match it with a voter registration if there was no match well, oh you weren't registered to vote, right? Mm. So we'd call you. And uh, it turned out we were calling a lot of deceased people. Because it's a habit back then when you had a landline that you never, you know, you never changed the, right. the name on the phone. You know, your husband would pass away and you would... And I remember the team that was actually doing the live work coming to me and saying, look, Dan, we, we can't do this. We're getting all of these. <laughs> wow. you
2: know,
1: and it was my failure to understand the data set. So, mm. you know, we solved it by closing in on new phone numbers, mm. right? figuring that if someone set up a new phone number, they definitely had moved, you know, they definitely had something. So it, um, you know, it, it's that that failure at multiple levels of Um, I guess if somebody came to me and said, you know, I'm setting up data science, who should I hire first? I'd say a data engineer, because you really want somebody like that looking at your data and looking at what it's going to take to cleanse it. You know, I, I I start at the very beginning of the pipe, uh, you know, because frankly, until you know what you have, you almost don't know the particularly subject matter specifics of the data scientist you might want to hire
0: interesting interesting so now let's 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 uh, spend some time on the thing the, the role called data scientist right so what are from your vantage point what are some of the ingredients of a successful data scientist
1: um you know i think when i guess i'd probably go go back to well Two simple things for people because they can look them up very easily. Um, uh, what's proven out for me for years at um, what was his name? Conway, Drew Conway, Drew Conway did a Venn diagram in 2010, and you know he talked about and he used the the language of developers more than anything else. Hacking skills, statistics skills, substantive expertise in some area. Um, I, I tend, by the way, to Feel that substantive expertise is um, almost impossible to find with the rest of it. That's why Mm -hmm. data science teams are good. Unless you've got someone who's dedicated themselves to you know a particular market segment to telecommunications or law or con or you know something like that, you need somebody else. But when a few years after Drew Conway came in, they added my favorite communication. So the, Mm the Venn diagram went, you know, from from three circles to sort of four ovals. Mm. And there's a great data scientist Venn diagram out there that I think really describes and, you know, as I look to recall things, you know, really described the the need for statistical analysis, mm. uh, you know, the need for programming, the need for some business acumen. Um, but I, I have to keep coming back to, uh, you know, uh, the classes that, data scientists should be taking need to take and the books that they should be reading and need to read are about communication and not even, you know, sort of business communication, although certainly valuable, Mm. but um, just personal communication. And that's very tough on a lot of us who, you know, who come from, I mean, we come from a world where, Frankly, everybody's suspicious of our ability to communicate. You know, if you're a developer, right. you're a programmer, people are constantly surprised by how many developers are musicians. You know, how many of them are you know have fascinating outside you know uh, bicyclists, you know, canyon climbers, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but training in how to communicate, whatever it is you've learned or you know, uh, is, I think. Grossly underestimated still uh, In the world and I mean that's one of my You know big pushes today is is evangelism everywhere is Mm -hmm. that people have to be more than Simply stating the facts they have to be truly And So somebody's looking, you know, what am I supposed to be learning next for me? It's up your communication skills
0: I think that's a, that's a fascinating thought, by the way. So uh, I, I, like, whenever I, uh, I remember that I was working with one of the u- university when they were putting together a, a, a master's of data analytics course. And I was, I was uh, discussing then, and they gave me this chart and it has like, uh, hey, do some R, do some sort of Python, do like all this stuff. And there was no sort of communication. And it was funny. So I was I was saying them, hey, what about if they can't communicate? properly and this is so and it, it, the funny thing was that um, right now they have one third of the courses all about communication so i think you you're spot on that it's such a important piece of thing and and the other thing that i i speak to a lot of uh, uh, in in my either keynote addresses or when i'm talking to a um, bunch of grads coming out of the school is that data science is having a lot of uh, trust issues nowadays so when you, when, you, when you when you talk about Brexit, when you talk about uh, predicting U.S. election, when you talk about almost every data uh, pool has missed out on these massive, massive, massive prediction. And my rant was, hey, imagine if it this. Sure, it's a, it's an economy; it can, it can sustain some blow. But imagine GE going through such a such, such a mishap. Imagine going IBM going through such a mishap. They won't stand another day mm-hmm. if they can go such a berserk on their prediction so data has so i was saying them that data has a human problem now That's surprisingly so like the, your future will would be ne- not about data anymore it's about and, and you're spot on that communication is and and i thank you so much for for sort of emphasizing uh, 800 times as you said what uh, <laughs> the the communication as one of the, the core component
1: you brought up a, a, you know a, a great point about it and i and i i think that it's um they're, they're starting to teach it. And, um, you know, it's interesting, uh, the trust issue, um, you know, two movies I, uh, I watch chunks of a lot, uh, are, um, uh, hidden figures in Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. And, uh, both talk about failures and mm. look at the, you know, the space program, uh, You know, I mean, people died, rockets Mm. blew up, millions of dollars were lost as we ventured into a very new realm. And I think one of the problems is as we get into predictive analytics and particularly, you know, ML, DL kinds of things, you know, machine learning, deep learning that are, you know, helping us do this sort of stuff and data scientists that are grappling with it. We're in a new area. People, I, I think, mm. laymen in the world think, oh, well, you're doing something different with a computer.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, yeah, and we were just doing something different with, you know, engines and gravity with rockets. I mean, in the end, we were just trying to push harder than we ever had before. You know, mm. the, the the math is, the you know, pretty similar. And uh, I think that uh, we need to look at why those happen. Um, uh, Darkest Hour, the Churchill movie that just came out. Mm-hmm. When you talk about data, there's a mm-hmm. scene in there, and I have no idea if it's apocryphal or not, but it's it's wonderful because Churchill decides to ride the tube, right, the, the, mm-hmm. the London subway, and it changes his mind about what the people want, and mm-hmm. he goes forward secure that you know absolutely sure that what he's doing is right, and I think the problems of from data science uh certainly in the last presidential was that we had become enamored to looking at the numbers hmm. uh, you know both sides That's the true. we the royal we of data science yeah. right uh, you know and i uh, i think that we, they lost that human part they they lost somehow you know what are people you know saying feeling um, we did this in, in, in jury selection. Here's an interesting, just a quick side on that one for the human part. You often can't ask people questions about themselves when you're selecting a jury. There are certain questions that, unless they're mm. directly related to the the case at hand, you can't ask them. So it's sort of like doing churn analysis, but you can't ask them about products. Or mm. right. So one of the questions that someone came up with, and this was out of the blue, this was actually um, uh, one of the uh, administrative staff who was mm-hmm. working on the project uh, heard people talking. and Was sitting in on a meeting because you know they were a valuable input, even though zero classical training in any of this. They said, mm-hmm. "Why don't we ask people what kind of bumper stickers they have on their cars?" Right. So there you are under oath. Right. So you can't really. Wow. So you say, wow. "Well, I've got," and that can you find things. Mm-hmm. And first of all, if you're, if you are. You know, if you feel enough that you're going to put it on there, right, that's something real. So Mm, it could be a sticker. It could be a religious sticker. It could be uh, something about, you know, pets or family Mm. or whatever. And I don't think there was any of that, you know, in, in the data science that went into elections. You know, there was no, yeah, but is anybody talking to people? You know, anybody actually, you know, trying to find out why which is why great marketing, you know, takes all that scientific data and then still has somebody come out. Um, I had a great random event happen to me. I was part of a cheese study. Just, I mean, (laughs) my wife signed us up and a guy from, from, it turned out to be from Kraft, came and had dinner with us and went shopping with us. (laughs) We talked about cheese, Uh, you know, and I I think, interested in it but we don't do that enough in right science you know, even well, if- i think
0: it's it's i think it's it's fascinating so uh, I, I i think it reminds me of um, i was sitting with a chief officer at one of the apparel company and they make shoes they make high-end sport shoes mm-hmm. and and sort of and i said and he, and he said you want to go uh, on a walk with me i said yeah let's go and he took me to a a soccer field and he was just seeing kids uh playing with with the shoe and and he said this this keeps me grounded. this keeps me understand that no data has a human element in it right so so he said that many time when I'm looking at data, I don't understand that there's the real people behind it mm-hmm. and that's that gives me sort of gravity, okay uh, sure, I have my own biases, but yes, how I can sort of create a platform that can have a lot of voices that was like it's beautiful thing, so I, I I wrote a letter to their CEO that just give him a raise. <laughs> there are very few folks who are like this, so it,
1: it, it's it's interesting because where I saw that most in action, um although uh, was the military, although many people would disagree. Um, but when when you're risking what you're risking, particularly I mean, I was you know basically a you know paratrooper foot soldier. Mm. uh out there um you know if i don't have use for something i will you know i'll toss it and i think Mm. your story is it's exactly the same sort of thing right you know he's looking at what these kids are doing with these shoes and he's got to think about things like you know are they stable enough to provide safety Mm. are they they, you know are are they wicking away the right amount of moisture are they able to deal with whatever you know they want to deal with it's a Absolutely, I'm going to steal
0: that story. <laughs> it's, it's 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 fascinating. So, um, I, I think I, we are almost tearing up for conversation. And and uh, Dan, thank you so much for being very, really candid and, and open uh, to like I, we are at, at at the last end. And I want to talk briefly about you too. Like in your journey, uh, what are some of the things that has helped you stay sane, and successful? If you can share some of those insights uh, for our listeners and viewers.
1: Um the uh, I guess um, you know very few of these, I mean, constant learning, hmm. um, uh, not even so much because it makes me because I learn something because it makes me aware uh, that I need the people around me. I mean, I guess I—that's I, I, really—they um, all evolve around, yeah, of course, communication, right? In the sense mm-hmm. that um, I go look at the world, and I get, you know, the, the world, you know, that you—I mean, as much as you track and talk to people and and talk about it, you know, you're the same, I, you know, at some level, I'm, a, you know, I don't know anything.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: in in, the, in in the whole world of technology. Um, you know, someone once asked me if they thought it'd ever be a big fish at IBM. And I mm. said, no, nah, I don't think so. Because the big fish at mm. IBM do things like... <laughs> so, so I think that um, knowing that is humbling. And keeping a team around me, that so when I go look at something and say, well, I know nothing about that, I've got yeah. someone I can go talk to. You know, give me a piece of that who can help get that started uh, and um, look for things that I haven't I haven't seen uh, on my bird call project, which mm. for, you know, many of, of your listeners will, you know, they'll, they'll realize it's, it's very much like the Shazam app. You know, you hold your phone up to the, uh, you know, up to the uh, radio and it tells you the song, except it's infinitely more complex because mm. the audio is out in the real world. It never occurred to me to go onto GitHub, and somebody said, well, you know, there's a project. There's, a, you know, there's some folks out there. like, holy god. Wow. <laughs> right? yeah. um, and they're doing it completely differently than I am. So I'm excited to reach out to them and have something. So I guess the things that have really mm. grounded me and kept me going are you know, that I constantly get humbled by my data, by my team, mm. by, by uh, you know, my lack of knowledge of something new. And so I keep around me people who know how to communicate and, and share, uh, and keeps me going forward.
0: Awesome. And, and, um, one thing also I ask, uh, all of our, our guests is to share one of their favorite read or, or reads, uh, with our listeners. Well, would you have uh, something for us?
1: Uh, the, uh, um, for fun lately, I've been churning through a lot of, of, uh, science fiction, but, uh, you know, Again, in the, in the world, it, the two books that would come to mind, I mean, really well, there's an author, uh, and I'm going to murder his last name. I think it's Lencione or Lencioni, Patrick Lencioni. The first book he wrote was called The Five Temptations of a CEO. And uh, it's a one hour, maybe 90 minute read. It's actually written as a fable about a startup in San Francisco. Uh, you could read his whole set. Uh, I think his first is best uh but understanding how people think uh particularly at senior levels uh you know when you're when you deal with that i think is, is vital uh, the other one's probably pretty far off the wall but um there's a guy named uh, joe navarro who wrote a book called what everybody is saying he's an fbi mm-hmm. agent who works uh you know who who talks about reading body language and he's very clear about what doesn't work and what's theoretical and and you know what you can count on Um, the reason i'm looking at that is because one of the frontiers of ai that's being explored is when you get to the human interchange Mm. right uh interaction how much have you expressed to me in this video or i expressed to you by Mm. that you know hmm you know or kinds of looks right that will you know that that are going to be the dead giveaway i mean you know, mm. uh, great. Google passed a Turing test. You know, Google right. never going to pass a smile test with that. You know, right. you and I aren't going <laughs> to, you know, aren't going to buy into that for a long time. And right. uh, I'm, you know, looking at what Joe Navarro's doing, reading about understanding how people react. I think ultimately is going to make for better AI, even as cognitive assistant. Mm. You know they're they're gonna they're they're gonna wanna interact on a on a level that that impacts you deeper than just the numbers that give you
0: interesting and and um last but not the least, so if you want the audience to take away something from this conversation like what would that be or what would be your parting thought uh, thought to our our listeners and viewers
1: um, you know. This is a question you've asked me. Well, you've asked me a question a couple of different ways. And I guess if it was the last thing, I'd say, you know what? Don't be afraid, regardless of whether you're two years or 20 years into this business, don't be afraid to take projects and positions that are tangential to what you say your goals are. you know, If they interest you, take them. In the long run, I haven't found a single past position, a single past Mm. project that I could not draw a story or an idea or even a solution from, you know, so, you know, don't be afraid in this blossoming world to zigzag a little, mm. you know, to, to not count on, to, to try things, even if you don't have the right degree, if you don't mm. have the, the right specialty, right. Uh, but if you have something that's going to you know, make a difference, you believe, apply for it. If they give it to you, absolutely take it. In the, in the long run, it's
0: never steered me wrong. Beautiful. With that, Dan, uh, again, thank you so, so much for, again, sitting very candidly and, and and walking us through your journey, walking us through some of the pitfalls in the industry that's happening. I, that was a really, really uh, goldmine for all, all of our listeners and viewers. And you're always welcome back on the show um, to share your journey. And I think uh, we haven't covered enough ground. Like, I, I don't know if listeners and viewers can see, like we have figured out a bunch of questions that we'll go through. I have not even barely started on that, so we had a lot of interesting conversation. So with that, then thank you so much, and um, thank you. Well, uh,
1: you're welcome, and thank you. I, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity. It was it was a lot of fun, and it took me in new directions. It forced me to think about well, why do I feel that way? So that that's again, that's the learning. You know, I want to talk to somebody who challenges me. As often as I can. I appreciate the challenge you presented. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
2: Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually, I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable. Don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once. That's it. Can I go into the booth feeling nervous? Got butterflies in my stomach, like I'm so worthless. Is the mic gone? Don't know how to work this. Inside, I'm breaking down. I hope I'm not up on a circle. Sur-